Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, I have been waiting. I have been sending out messages, and I've been like, will this date work? Will that date work? Can you hang out with me? Can you hang out with me? Can you hang out with me? But today, guys, we have the director of physical therapy of the U- uh, for the UFC on the show today, uh, Dr. Heather Linden. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that we can make this work today and just chat. And I'm very excited about doing this with you today. Well, I want to go, I want to let our listeners know about a little bit of the background. Virginia Tech, that's where you went to undergrad. You went on to Old Dominion. Um, You graduated with honors. You were a collegiate athlete. I don't, what what did you play? So you're going to laugh. People might laugh at this. I was actually a cheerleader, but I was on the competition team. So. I was a gymnast growing up my whole life, also played soccer, baseball, kind of, I was the tomboy of the family, and that gymnastics career kind of transitioned me into being a high-level cheerleader, and at the collegiate level, we had a co-ed team, and it was also a competitive team where we trained year-round and competed down in nationals every year in Daytona Beach, and it was amazing. So definitely kept us super busy. We cheered for football and basketball at Virginia Tech, which at that time was amazing. We had went to a national championship. We had Michael Vick as our quarterback. So it was a really fun time to be a cheerleader and travel around the country and then also get to do sport, which was really fun. So now, uh, I, when I started, this is crazy because when I don't know, you don't know this, but when I started, my whole uh, career started with the University of Memphis Palm Squad. Um, uh-uh. They were the nine-time national champions at the time, and I got one of them. And then I told them all, like you know, I, I went down to their their training facility. I gave out cards, shirts, and I told them I was going to do all their hair complimentary. And before uh, nationals, they came and. I said, I'm going to do it and you can't spend any money. I'm just going to take care of you guys. They came, but I called all, because I didn't have a cell phone at the time because you didn't have cell phones. But but I uh, called the news station, the radio station and said, hey, if you want to cover this, they're going to be here. And that started my whole business. That's so cool. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. (laughs) I mean, people, I mean, there's mixed viewpoints when it comes to cheerleading and all that stuff, but it really inspired me to do bigger and better. And it really opened my career path into sports because every day we had a lot of injuries on the team. So we had an athletic trainer that every day, you know, covered our practices and we got to see how that was integrated into sports and then how there's multiple professions that are needed on a sporting team. And that's kind of what, you know, put me into doing physical therapy for sports. Well, I think this is this is incredible because uh, a little a little bit more background on a right after uh, I believe it was right after college. I'm uh, if I'm getting this wrong, you let me know. But after uh, college, you uh, you were the phys- uh, director of physical therapy at HealthQuest. Um, you became the medical director um, for the U.S. or U.S. Olympic team for the for the youth Winter Olympics in 2016. The Team USA medical staff from 2000 uh, in 2012. You did uh, London 2014 Sochi 2015 the para am games 2016 and you were rio and now you're the director of physical therapy for the ufc i mean you have like you could quit now like you could just quit now i'm out you could randy watson it drop the mic and i'm out um talk to us about when you first started off because most people would think like you know an iconic person like yourself and dealing with the highest level in one of the fastest growing sports in the world and there's one position and you've got it um they think, wow, how could I get there? Let's talk about the journey getting there. Yeah, that journey, honestly, um, 
is very unusual. Like you said, it's hard sometimes when you don't know the right people or things like that. But for me, it really was, you know, grinding it out, putting my head down. I knew I wanted to be a big impact when it came to professional athletics and in sports all over. So I put my head down and I really grinded out the next five years after PT school and just learned as much as I possibly could. Learned about manual physical therapy, learned about sports physical therapy, tried to add so many tools to my toolbox that no matter what position I applied for, I was going to be the best candidate um, that they would ever see. So that's kind of what I did for the next five years in private practice. And I do think, you know, a lot of new grads really want to jump right into sports. And I do think having those five years of seeing day-to-day patients, crazy diagnoses from you know, babies to elderly to athletics really helped me see a lot of things when it comes to evaluating athletes in today's world. And then that just grew me to be a great clinician. And when I got the opportunity to volunteer at the Olympic team, you know, initially I was super disappointed. I was, everybody there already knew somebody and had a, had an in to do something with them. And I was like, mom, I don't have an in. Like, I don't know anybody. I don't know the people to talk to. Like, I'm just... Joe Schmo who puts their head down and grinds it out. But, you know, I I don't know that person that I need to be talking to, to take it to that next level. And really I was very fortunate that grinding it out and having the skill sets that the Olympic team was looking for, it got noticed. You know, I wasn't somebody that's opening my mouth and telling how great I was. I just put my head down, saw athlete after athlete after athlete. And when you do a good job with athletes, you know, they speak for themselves and, you know, that got back that I had the skill set they were looking for. And the boss asked if I would consider applying to a position that had just opened up with the Olympics. And I remember calling my mom and being like, oh my gosh, this is like a dream come true. But at the moment I had a facility in California that I was about to start with a girlfriend of mine and do more of Pilates, women health, um, things like that. And I just threw that on hold and said, if I don't take this opportunity, I might always question in the rest of my life and went ahead and took a chance, moved my whole life over to Colorado. And it has been, I'm a very fortunate physical therapist. Here we go again with the shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Piper Diamonds for all your jewelry needs. My necklace that I get complimented all over the country and all over the world. Uh, My pennant was made by Piper Diamonds Company. This place is absolutely phenomenal. When you're looking for that special something for that special someone, Piper Diamonds is the only answer. It's piperdiamonds.co. And it's also brought to you by Kelly Cardenas Salon in Las Vegas and in Chicago. This is top-level service, guys, without the ego and hands down the greatest shampoo experience that you will ever have in your life. This will create uh, an evangelistic uh, type experience. You will be talking about this for years and years to come. The wash house, uh, completely separate area, com- uh, different sound system, soundproofed, head, neck, and shoulder massage. You will be over the moon with your experience and you can uh, schedule your appointment at kellycardinasalon.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, talk to us too about young Heather. You talk about your mom a bit and she seems to be very, very important to you because you referred to her probably three or four times during this time. And she was the one that you called when that call came in. Like we all yep. wait for that. I'm still waiting for that call from Oprah. Like, I, and, and it hasn't happened yet, but I just think she's, she's kind of busy. You know what I'm saying? Like Oprah, shout out to you. Uh, she hasn't called me yet, but let's, let's go back to young Heather. Um, yep. What are some of the principles that mom 
uh, you know, mom uh, imparted and were you open to them right away or were you like every other kid that was like, mom, you don't know what you're talking about? So I would say growing up, I can absolutely contribute mom and dad to hard work, you know, always putting that time and effort in and things will pay off, you know, in sports and everything like that. So both of them growing up throughout young Heather's life was, you know, instilled that in my life and keep going and being better and better and better. And there's no, you know, cap or no ceiling. You can achieve whatever your dreams want to do as long as you put the time and effort into doing so. And then what, what transfers back to young Heather and my mom is my mom was the one that actually heard about the volunteer position. And at three years out of PT school, she called me and was like, Oh my gosh, you should do this. This is right up your alleyway. I know you've been trying to get that foot in the door in sports. And you know, this is a volunteer position. Maybe this is how you do it. And of course I read the application. I was like, mom, it says five years experience. Like it's the first thing that says on the first sentence, like, of course your mom is telling you this. And she's like, okay, well, two more years, you can do it. And I'm telling you the day of that two years, my mom called me and was like, hey, it's your five-year anniversary of graduation. Like, you can do this. She's like, maybe you'll go to the Olympics. It's next year. And I was like, oh, my gosh, mom, you're, you're crazy. Like, you're absolutely loony. But I was like, I love how passionate you are about my dreams. I love how much support you've given me my whole life. So, you know, I am going to look into it and do the application and just see where it goes. Now, fast forward, I end up going to the London Olympic Games and I can take a step back and say moms are always right. And even on a personal level, like back in high school when you met the man of your dreams and it was like, you're going to marry him and your mom's like, no, you're not. They're always right. They're always right. And I mean, even when it came to going to the London Olympics, she knew it. And she's guided me in such a positive way. My family has been such good supporters of my career path and have always just told me, you know, don't put a limit on anything. Keep moving forward and do what you love. And that's what I've done. Well, talk to us too, because you just said that with the Olympic part, you took a volunteer part, right? You took a volunteer job. Now, I mean, when you get out of PT school, I mean, we're talking about, you got a doctorate from uh, from, uh, Old Dominion. So mm-hmm. we're talking about, what is it, seven years, seven, eight years of education? Of school. Se- mm-hmm. Seven and a half years. Um, this costs you more than $360. Okay. Yes. Yes. The reason why I say 360 bucks is because- uh, I, I'll be 56 when I pay off my student loans. You'll be 56 years old. Yeah. Okay. So you got like 20 years exactly. for that to happen. So <laughs> help me into the mind of Heather because- mm-hmm. You got seven and a half years of education. You got a doctorate and somebody asked you to volunteer. Most of the time, your ego would be that sting like Marcellus Wallace from, from Pulp Fiction would be like that, that ego is going to sting you real quick. How are you going to, where did you, how were you able to go there mentally to go to, to stay humble enough to see long-term? So, I mean, I think in today's world, we tend to think or expect things, right? We did a seven and a half year program. I'm a doctor, but let's be real. You're so green. I don't know crap really in the scheme of the bigger picture. And I was always, you know, I've always put myself in a room that's not the smartest person in the room to always be able to learn and drop that ego. And I will say that that's kind of what I did. I knew that there's sacrifices you need to make along your entire life journey that sometimes are pivotal and allow you to be that stepping stone that moves you forward. And 
I knew that this was probably a door that doesn't open up all the time. I mean, in sports, you have people always trying to get those positions, right? They are just gaming for that position. But I knew accepting this one door and opening it up to see if it was even a possibility was where I needed to drop my ego. And I had no problem taking two weeks of no pay and volunteering and even to see if it's a good fit, because I can tell you this, I've had students that have come in so, you know, go ho ready to like do sports and they take a day and spend spend weeks with this. I'm so sorry. Hey. I think Hey, hey, you were you were dropping so much fire, Heather, that you were like, I'm dropping the mic right now. I'm out. That's enough of the I physical had like three athletes read and I hit decline, but then it accepted it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, no. So, I love sorry. it. I love the I love the reality part of it. I mean, uh, you know, when when you're the when you're the director of physical therapy for the UFC series, you could just drop a call and just walk out. You know what I mean? <laughs> you could do that, Heather. You got that kind of game. So So what I was saying, and this is exactly <laughs> what I meant, is you never stop. When you're in sports, like my phone rings 24-7. I have athletes all over the world. So your phone is always, someone is practicing and getting injured and, you know, they're always reaching out to you. And I've had students look at me and be like, there's no way I would want your position. You are on call 24-7. You work somewhere between 60 and 80 hour work weeks. Like it's insane what you do. So that being said, I mean, I took the opportunity and stepped through that door to do that volunteer work. But then you really saw that, you know, it's all about grind. You know, the people that don't want to put the time and effort to it don't succeed when it's in the sports world because there it is long hours. It is, you know, grinding it out, making sure you're learning constantly and evolving with these athletes so that you can actually impact their day to day. So it's pretty crazy. Well, I, I think it's amazing to be able to see the, the, uh, the perception and then the reality, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so take us to, because Heather is super humble. She listens to her mom all the time. Uh, she listens to her dad. She never had bad relationships in high school. She never picked a boy that her dad was like, you need to get away from him. And uh -oh. I, am I correct Actually, on this? I'm. <laughs> you did? <laughs> Tell yeah, it. I would still say now I do the same. Okay. My Family still like Heather. <laughs> it's always the bad boys, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, you you did the volunteering part. You come out of school. You're humble. You get the volunteering part. Tell us about when you get the call, um, whether it was a call or an email, that mm -hmm. there's the possibility that you're about to get one of one positions in the world. Like there's only one of your position in the whole entire world. And for those of you listening out there, if you're an accountant and you got out of school and there was one accounting job in the whole entire world, imagine getting that job. Heather got that job. 
take us. I think what got me that job was being that humble, naive person, to be honest, because I was the last position. So out of the entire performance team, we had the director of sports science. We had strength and conditioning. We had nutrition. We had the, the VP of performance of operations and athlete development, all that stuff. And my position was the very last position they hired. And why they said they had such trouble hiring it is because initially when the position opened, all these clinicians that were big well-to-dos, you know, in the NFL, heads, in the NBA, all of them were applying for this position. And it was like, I know everything. Where I came in and I was like, I know nothing. Like, what are you guys even doing calling me? Like, and they just laughed because they were like, well, you've worked with Olympic wrestlers, boxers, judo, taekwondo, men's gymnastics, every com like the pinnacle of combat sports, you've worked with all of the top. So how do you not know nothing, anything? You know, like, how is this? And I just said, you know, to be brutally honest, I don't follow UFC in that sense. Like, I follow injuries, and I follow athletes, and I know that stuff, and that stuff I'm really comfortable with. But if you tell me who your number one is in, the, in this weight class, in this division, female, male, I would have told you I'm clueless. And honestly, it doesn't matter what athlete I'm working with. It's the body in front of me that I need to do my job. So I don't care what your name is. I treat number one in the world like number 500 in the world because it's an athlete. It's a body. You never know when 500 becomes one and one becomes 500. And you should treat them the way you would want to be treated. And that's kind of how I've always been. And I think that really stepped me aside. So when I did my first interview, when I got called by the recruiter and just to talk with them, I wasn't looking for a position. I just said I would talk. And we just started talking about where I see professional athletics going and what I think is wrong with professional athletics. And we just, I mean, I literally vibed with the recruiter. He was like, you know, don't tell the UFC, but I think you're perfect. I'm already going to push you forward to the next, when can we schedule the next interview? So you actually talk to them, which he was like, I shouldn't be really saying this. Like I'm just the recruiter, but I think your mentality of not, you know, caring about who's who I mean, I think that really stepped me aside and made me a really good candidate for this position. And I think it, you know, it was a huge, huge dream come true being that one position, being able to start from the ground up with a company that's thriving and moving forward in sports and athletics and being able to make my brand and make you know, change what I want to change in professional sports. And that's really, you know, the platform that the UFC has given me so far. So what, what challenges did you see? Like when you were talking with the recruiter, what were some mm -hmm. of the challenges that you saw that was kind of a gaping hole that you were focused on that other people maybe weren't seeing? Yeah. So initially what, um, what they told me was that I was like, what do you do for your athletes? What is your day to day? What are you doing from injury prevention? What are you doing? You know, when injuries occur, how do you make, you know, athletes perform at their optimal levels? And they literally looked at me and were like, we are starting from the ground up. Like we don't know, you know, even my first six months here was in a clinic that the, at the performance Institute where people had to come in and make scheduled appointments and I was like, you know, what are we doing as a, you know, healthcare performance um, clinician? 
our athletes are on the road. Our athletes are, you know, getting ready for fights every week. Why aren't we there when we're the most important? Why aren't we there after the fights when things, you know, really wear their heads, when you have emotion, you have injuries. So, you know, looking at all the different holes that I saw initially and talking with the recruiter, I just thought that this was going to be such a great role to be able to really redefine sports because you look at NFL and NBA and all these other teams that have been around for years and they've always functioned under the kind of the same umbrella when it comes to healthcare and to be able to go with a company that's growing and set an example of how it should be done and maybe a part of that baseline and, and recruit a great team around me. I mean, I could not do this without the amazing team that I have. I mean, I have not only the top performance um, providers all over the world for strength and conditioning, nutrition, sports science. But I also have a great medical team of sports chiros and athletic trainers, and I work with massage therapists. So it doesn't matter. You need the team around you, and I think that's what the platform is that the UFC gave me was to build that and then be able to go from there. Talk to us too because there's, <clears throat> I mean, your sport is there's a couple of things that are, are prevalent especially in your line of work. So I've got them listed off uh, knees, calves, or knees, concussions, and most recently, calves. Can you, can you talk to us about these? And then. So, I mean, we look at knees. Knees are a very popular injury that you see across all professional sports. But when you do have a significant knee injury, that can completely take you out of your sport, right? And in UFC, we have not only submissions and stuff with jujitsu that can tear ligaments, but we also have a sport which is doing pivotal rotational components and strength components with people that might be grappling and putting their full body weight on you. So all of these are big avenues when it comes to knee injuries. So looking at knee injuries and taking a step back and figuring out how you can still perform with, with these injuries or if it is something that needs surgery. I mean, the cool thing is like recently there's a new procedure with ACLs. If there's a certain tear, um, in the ACL, they can actually reattach it rather than do a full reconstruction. And it's probably half the time getting back in sport. Now, there's not a lot of research on what it looks like 10 years from now. But let's just say you have a 30-year-old who's at their pivotal moment in sport and them taking a full year out of sport versus a half year, this might be the best stepping stone for them. So it's, it's being really open-minded when it comes to these knee injuries and figuring out what the best case scenario is athlete to athlete. Um, it's also looking at really promoting conservative care. You know, we go to a physician and they, they know what they know. Same thing with all of us, right? I'm, I'm obviously an advocate for physical therapy and doing more conservative routes, but you go to a surgeon and they're going to do, you know, recommend surgery. That's what we've done. You know, you go to a hairdresser, they're going to recommend getting your hair done. You go to a nutritionist. I mean, that's just what we do. And being able to take a step back and offer the UFC some more conservative um, treatment plans and being able to not maybe take an athlete that's on their way upward and stopping and halting that. I mean, you never know taking a whole year out in a division, what that could do for that athlete. Um, I have an athlete right now who's like number two in the world and they recommended knee surgery for this athlete. And he was able to, he came in for three weeks. I put him through every test possible, could not find the instabilities that the MRI showed. And he ended up 
moving forward and fighting for championships and things like that. And people would never know that this athlete doesn't have an ACL and he's super functional. So there's so many ways around it that you can look at, you know, it comes to concussions. This is a huge topic. This is the big buzzword, right? In today's world, you know, especially with the unknown of CTE and all this other stuff that we have going on, you know, it's definitely a buzzword. So making sure that we have, I've worked with my entire team, strength and conditioning and nutrition to start a concussion protocol where, you know, most concussion protocols are looked at from a medical standpoint, but what about their diet impacting that, you know, results? What about their strength and conditioning, being able to get back into doing some form? I mean, you have an elite athlete who's used to training high level every day. And then you're going to say from a concussion standpoint, don't do anything. That's not emotionally, physically how their body functions. So you have to figure out from a heart rate variability what their heart rate max is by doing testing to see if they can still do exercises, which will help them on a better path getting healed. There's so many different things when it comes to that. So this year it's been nice with, I will say, with the COVID pandemic, we've been able to step back and do a ton of that research and a ton of that grind on the back end to see where are the numbers, where's the data telling us how we can change sports and, you know, become a total nerd, honestly, like, which has been super fun. I mean, to see where the sport is coming and to see what we've learned thus, thus far is it just incredible. And it's only growing from that aspect. So, you know, concussion, we is a very hot topic. We're working on coming up with great protocols that we can, you know, educate these athletes and these coaches, because when I see these athletes, I'm like, have you ever had a concussion? They're like, nope. And I'm like, Okay, concussion is not just a brain bleed. If you have inflammation in the brain, you have, you know, there's so much more that goes into it that people just don't know about. So educating that is a huge platform that I plan to do this year. And then when it comes to calf kicks, we look, you see these athletes after these calf kicks, you'd be like, it's broken. Everything is broken in that leg. It is so swollen. It is so black and blue. You're worried about possible compartment syndrome and things like that. But half the time, a day or two of like aggressive soft tissue treatment and contrasting and laser beds, the leg looks completely normal in like two days, which is just absolutely nuts. So when you were, because you were there in Abu Dhabi with Connor Mm -hmm. and and Poirier Mm -hmm. and, you know, the whole world is watching, Um, you're watching the fight. When you're watching the fight, are you seeing like, oh, that dude just took a blow to the head? Are you thinking Heather, like that that Heather analytical side of like, what is going to be the effects of that? Did you watch when Connor got clipped when he got that 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 calf kick sunk in, and then you saw uh-huh. then you saw Dustin going after him? Are you analyzing and can you? Can you enjoy the fight from a fight perspective or are you constantly analyzing how am I going to be able to make this dude be able to walk tomorrow? Yeah, honestly, my job position has ruined the sport of fighting (laughs) from a spectator standpoint, especially when I travel with them. Usually I'm sitting pretty close to the octagon and... I know when something's broken, where I, when I hear something snap, I know when, you know, they get hit in the head and I can see if their eyes look a little unsteady. You can see the wobbliness. You can see everything. So my mind immediately is like, okay. And like the replay, people are like, oh my God, this is incredible. I'm like, okay, right chin, his head went to the left. He's doing this, this, like mm. my analytical nerdy side just comes out. So I watch and I'll replay and people are like, oh my gosh, you're just such a fan. You love the sport. And I'm like, no, I'm just seeing like how that affected what's going to be injured tomorrow. 
what do we need diagnostics on? What are we going to be able to rehab? And then what can I do right after the fight to make sure, you know, we get that athlete home safely and they're on the right track to being healthy. So you, you're working with both athletes. Cause I mean, you're the director of physical therapy for the whole UFC. So you're working with Poirier, you're working with Connor. Yep. Um, have you ever been at a fight and been like, yo, I want this dude to win. You don't have to tell me who. You don't have to no, tell me who. You can if you want. I, probably a handful of times, like less than five in my entire almost four years being here, okay. have I said, I would say the, the only time that's really happened is one, if I never met the other person at all. And I've only worked okay. with the one person and connected. Then you do feel a little bit of like excitement for that person just because you don't know the, and that's just human nature. Of course, of the course. Time, I think there's only, I mean, this group of athletes by far is the most impressive um, amazing athletes to work with. They are so humble. They are so appreciative. So I think maybe, maybe once or twice, there's been someone who's maybe a little too good for his britches or a little like, Hey, you know, you can tell when someone starts treating the people around them that, you know, their job is, you know, not the best. And you're like, you know what, maybe you should get hit in the face. I mean, you say that about your coworkers, right? <laughs> Somebody might in and be a little snot and you're like, well, I hope one day you realize this. And it's the same thing in sporting, but, but really this group of guys, it's mostly, I sit there and I'm like, oh man, someone has to lose. Someone has to win. I know their families, their wives, their husbands. And I know them really well because I do travel and get to that personal one-on-one -on -one with their entire team. It's a hard sport. You know, when I worked at the Olympics, we go team USA all the way. Right. And then when I worked with other professional athletes, they were on the Raiders. So go Raiders. They were this hockey team. So you cheered for that team or that individual player. But when you have both of your guys in the octagon and not always losing because they missed a pitch or, you know, missed a basket, they're losing maybe with a fractured orbital concussion it's for me, it's the very analytical medical side that I look at. And I can't say that spectating wise, I'm like, Ooh, but I do enjoy learning from the sport every time I watch it. Like when you see an injury, like, Hey, could that be prevented? Was there something we could do in their training camp that would have made that not happen? Was there a weakness in the kinetic chain where, you know, that guy stepped and he tore his ACL, but maybe if his glute wasn't as weak on that side or he had better balance, we could have prevented that. So I look at it and I get excited because I, I'm excited for the future and excited for change and excited to see what we can do as the sport evolves. So how about like, uh, you know, one of my, one of my favorite, my, my brother was a part of the UFC too. He was a, a manager in the UFC for years with uh, Vanderlei Silva. And we, we've mm -hmm. just been, we've been fight fans for, for years and years and years. Uh, probably two of our, our, our favorites are the Diaz brothers and, um, yep. You know, just just amazing guys, um, warriors, right? Like guys who get in there and just bang it out. When you're watching this stuff, because sometimes people are too tough for their own good. Am I correct on this? Because they stay in the fight and take too many, take too many to the dome. Can yep. you can you talk to that a little bit? Because there's sometimes where people in business or in life are so strong in what they do that they don't know. My brother told me this one time. He said, you know, some people are so strong that they don't know when it's time to step back. Yep. Yep. Do you see that happen? I do. I mean, I think it's really hard when you're a professional athlete to know when it's your time, right? Especially because 
I mean, I, I don't think we do a very good job with professional athletes um, transitioning them back into normal life, right? So their whole life is sport, sport, sport. And then you pull that away from them as they start to get older or maybe just have injuries that have been more detrimental to their careers. And it's one of those things where you look and you're like, okay, there's a t- you can see it. You can see when there's a time, especially I would say with UFC, when athletes are on that decline. But then you've also had athletes that have been in their mid-30s that are still making that upward progression. And I think that says a lot about performance and where we are today, that we have better teams around these athletes that they can compete for longer years than what their normal athletic career would be. But I do think there is a time and place when the people around you need to also be real with you. I think that's probably my biggest issue in sports is as you get to the top, you have so many people around you that are your yes men, right? That you're so great. You did this great. You did this great. Everything is great. But you also need the people around you that are going to say, Hey, like, let's step back. Like either at your managers, either at your coaches, either at just your whole team. Like one thing we do a lot here at the performance Institute is when we have issues with an athlete or suggestions that we think could help an athlete, we don't just sit down one-on-one with that athlete. We sit down with the team and let's have a conversation like, Hey, here's what we think would make you stronger, faster, things like that. Then let's get the coach's input. Does he agree with us? Are those things are asked those things assets to that athlete that are going to bring them up? Or are those things that aren't as important for that team? So it's not a one-on-one decision. It needs to be a team approach on everything and really analyzing things and not just having people that are always the same people. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in the sense of like jumping teams and going to different coaches just to get, it's a matter of just having people around you that are a real, you do need your hype men in your team, right? You need people that are going to keep pushing you. You do need that. I mean, you see it, but you also need people that are going to say, Hey, let's talk about this. Like, I had a, um, a sports dietitian contact me once and say, like, I just know this guy has, he's getting knocked out a lot more frequently. He's, you know, older in the sport. Like, what can you do? Can you do an eval of the brain and things like that? And I put him through the ringer when it came to analysis and things like this. I even did an EEG of the brain. We brought somebody in and you could see that some of the stuff he was slower on. And it was just a conversation of, those are still things that can improve, but you got to do things to improve them. So I'm not the person to sit there and say, this is your time because genuinely it has to be an athlete decision, but I am the person to give you the facts and say, you know, maybe in the scheme of things, your strength is going down. Your power is going down. If you're going to fight at this level, this is where your weight class is. This is why we have a whole performance team around you. Can some of those things be fixed? Yes. Others are going to be your own true will and stuff like that. But, you know, it needs to be a coach's, an athlete decision and the whole performance team's decision around all of that. So when you have a a performance team, you're talking about the professional athletes. Who is who is Heather's team that's around her? Not I'm not talking about professionally. I'm just talking about Heather. That is that you have that camp of people. Who is that camp of people that's telling Heather, like, you know, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. You know, I have. I would say one person that I think really has made a huge impact um, since coming to the UFC, Duncan, who is my boss. He's our VP of performance. He says the good. He says the bad. He says the ugly. You know, there's times when he's pulled me in the office and be like, hey, you are so good at this, but what about this? Like me truly taking this position, I had to become a really good leader. And that wasn't something that I'm used to. I've always had great leaders above me that have really molded my career path. 
but it was time for me now to step in that role and do that to other clinicians below me. And it, I wasn't good at it. I mean, it doesn't come easy just to become a leader. You know, I'm that person that I'm like, I don't need to pat you on the butt and shake your hand because you showed up to work at eight o'clock. That's your job. (laughs) But that's not how people function sometimes. Sometimes you do need a cheerleader. Sometimes a person learns by more giving and caring feedback. Someone needs the harsh feedback and you've got to learn who your team is around that. So I think he's been a really good advocate of growing me. Not only like he knows nothing about me professionally, like he's not a medical clinician, but personally he's been able to take and see all of my strengths and weaknesses for me. And then I think also surrounding myself with um, a performance team like nutrition, that's really good um, strength and conditioning that are good people that have been there and done that. It's amazing. Yeah. Another pause for station identification and shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Finley Cars of Las Vegas. I tell you, next level in the car buying experience, and not only that, but the life of your car, the service that you're going to uh, experience is incredible. It's Finley Volvo Cars uh, LV.com. And also brought to you by uh, Bling Shine Serum, the only product on the market that will add weightless moisture, strength, and shine, and the only uh, product that has the endorsement of my mama. When I showed her all the features and benefits, she smelled it and she said, this is the greatest product that you've ever done. And I thought, mom, do you not uh, look at the features and benefits? She said, no, if it smells like that, it must work. And I tell you, every single woman needs a little bit of bling in their life. And this can be purchased at kellycardinasalon.com. What, what about in your personal life? Who is your girl that when you start, when you start acting a fool, when you start making some silly decision oh that she snaps you right back up and says, Heather, I don't care that you're the director of physical therapy for the UFC. You need to do X. Who's that girl? My best friend, Taylor Walden. Oh my gosh. So she actually works for the NBA. Her and I work together at the Olympic team. She's a ch- She's like 10 years younger than me. And She literally, I mean, I'm the one that acts her age and she acts my age. And she'll be like, Heather, you are 40. You can't act like this anymore. And I'm like, okay, fine. And even like we became roommates almost 10 years ago. Like we've, we've known each other for a while. And even back then she was like the first person that would be like, okay, head, you make me young and you make me step outside of my comfort zone goals and push me to do things I never thought I could do. But then I'm also the person to reel you back into reality and be like, okay, like, hold on a second, girl. Like you got to figure out your shit. Um, and she is, so we are, I, I'm super excited. She's actually, she still works for the NBA and runs all of their COVID, um, testing and stuff. And she will be moving in with me as my roommate, um, in like a few weeks. So we'll, the gang will be back together. That is a that is a power couple. That 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 house is going to be exploding. Like I mean, with the with the knowledge, um, not only the knowledge, but I tell you, Heather, like talk to us too about. I mean. Number one, if you're listening right now, you listen to any words that Heather has said, I mean, your mind is blown right now. I mean, the level in which she has mastered her craft is amazing. If you're watching, you realize how not only physically beautiful Heather is, but also the beam of light that she is. Let's talk to that vibe that you talked about earlier and how important that is because I think a lot of times people just try and master their craft and they don't have those interpersonal skills. And Oh my God. You, you, I mean, 
right when you we turned on the video, it was like, I mean, it, I just got blasted with energy, which was amazing. How important is that? So actually, that's a great, 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 great question. So in PT school, initially, this is kind of crazy. Um, I was probably bottom of the barrel. Like, it was, I, I'm not a book smart person, like with a great photographic memory. I have the person that even growing up through college and grad school, I probably had to read the chapter two, three, four times to get it right. Make the note cards, be the study dork. I had to do that. And so when I first started PT school, I was like, I got put on probation my first year. And I was like, Oh my, I'm not going to get through this. And I mean, by probation, I got a B minus and you have to have a B or above to stay in PT school. So it's not like I'm flunking out. I got a B minus on a test and that like brought my average down, but I just struggled. Like it was a lot of work. It was a lot of memorization and reading and reading and reading and reading. And like my mind was just blown and about midway between the second year, it turned over into practicals and where patient interactions, being able to take what you read and then describing it to a patient, making them comfortable with what you're saying and understanding what you're saying, because you have a lot of medical lingo, but that doesn't translate and they don't understand exactly what that means. So all of a sudden I started getting way better scores in PT school and understanding that. And even to this day, the people that were probably top in our class have struggled professionally. And it's because people were like, Heather, you're really good at taking things and understanding it. And I, and I do translate that in my day to day with working with patients is you can have all this great, amazing knowledge, but if the person in front of you doesn't trust and believe in what you're saying, it's not going to. I mean, there's definitely a placebo effect in everything that we do in life, right? Um, this is the funniest story. When I was right new out of school, we had these um, patches that had medication in them that would help, like, it was an anti-inflammatory that would reduce inflammation on an area of where you put the patch. Well, we used to have to hook it to stim and sit there for, like, 30 minutes while that was done transdermally. We got these new patches. They were amazing. We stuck them on the patient, sent them home, and boom. Well, I had misunderstood what the rep said. I thought the medication was in the patch, but there was nothing in the patch. I put the patch on the patient. The patient went home, called me the next day crying. You fixed me. You were amazing. And I was like, I called the rep and I was like, you just stick the patch on that. That was amazing. I need, I need like a hundred more boxes. And she's like, well, did you put the medication in the patch? And I was like, nope. And so that just shows you there is a placebo effect. So if people don't believe in what you're doing and you're not passionate about it, it carries over in the long run. I like, I go to work every day and I love it. It's not work. It's, I'm super passionate about it. I get to hang out with my friends, be a dork, learn, impact athletes day to day, hopefully change professional sports. And when you're that lucky to do so, I mean, how can you not be energetic, have a smile on your face and just love your day? <laughs> so, if, if you're watching, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're listening, you can hear it. Like you, I can hear it in my headphones. Like I'm laughing so much through this time because I mean, it really is like being around you is, is amazing. Like I, I mean, I believe you could walk into a room, Heather, and like touch someone and then they'll be like, wow, I feel better. Like I, I feel better from just being with, with Heather. That, that works out well. I feel more work than that. I wish I was that good. No, because but I, 
help a lot more people. But I mean, you got you got to love what you do. It, it, it shows around you. And I think like if you're in a, in a field of helping people, then, you know, you got to be able to help yourself, too. So. So talk to us, too, because I think the UFC, I mean, with the UFC you're you're dealing with. I think some of the most elite athletes in the world, like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the things that they put their bodies through, um, and to be able to perform at the level that they do, which is amazing. Yep. Okay. All professional sports generally have uh, like professional athletes have one thing in common and that's an entourage, <laughs> an entourage of people that are just basically hangers on their friend from wherever, um, you know, and they just pay them, put them on payroll. I, I, maybe I'm not privy to this. I don't see this happening as much in the UFC. Does this happen with the athletes? Because I mean, that ends up, it, it always ends up bad. 75% of, uh, of like, uh, professional, professional athletes, like NBA and things like that, they end up bankrupt. Do you see this happening in them, uh, in the UFC? So I think it's a little, actually completely different. So first off, a lot of the background of our athletes are they don't come from that professional organization that has grazed them and taught them the ropes of everything. So like you're a professional football player, you've usually gone through high school being scouted, collegiate levels, you know, wherever you are from, you bring up your boys, you're making, then you make a ton of money, right? Where you have to realize a lot of our guys started street fighting. A lot of our guys started from nothing. So they're not bringing up their boys from nothing. They were one of those guys that has evolved into a professional athlete because they needed an output of energy, what they were doing, couldn't find the right career path. And this just happened to find their calling. You know, some of our athletes have told me stories where, you know, they were on the street fighting, but they needed money to, they, you know, to support their families and somehow it evolved that way. I've had athletes tell me stories where they were, you know, into drugs and alcohol or, you know, maybe in trouble with the law and learned mixed martial arts and things like that. And that groomed them. So they come from a very different background. I also think from a professional sports standpoint, they work their way up through pay. You know, they start at a lower salary than any professional athlete coming out of college or high school being drafted, recruited, whatever. So they've had to learn not going from zero to millions, zero to 10,000 to 20,000 to 40,000 to 70, a pretty standard increase similar to what you and I would do from a career standpoint, right? Like you don't just get out of school or get out of high school and get paid hundreds of thousands. I mean, some people do and are very lucky for that, but other people have had to go of the upward way and figure out how to pay your bills, live life. And I think a lot of our athletes have had to do that. So you don't get as many, and they can't afford to pay their entourage, right? If they're starting from the ground up and going that up way, they don't have time to pay Johnny, Freddie, you know, whatever. So I think it's definitely very different in the path that our athletes take. So you don't see that, but I mean, at the top, you start to see that. I mean, definitely. I mean, Connor is amazing athlete. I've been so fortunate to work with him. Um, he is nothing but utmost respect and just such a pleasure to work with as an athlete. And at, at his level, he does have, you know, teammates around him now, you know, he does have photographers and social media people, but he's made it to that pinnacle level where you do need people to handle that stuff. You know, like he doesn't have time to answer every email and every person that messages him. So he needs the team around him 
but it's taken him a long way to get there. So it's a very different path than most professional athletes. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, now's the time to do some shameless promotion. This episode is brought to you by Squeeze Dried, a delicious, no-hassle way to get superfoods, vitamins, and nutrition. SqueezeDried.com. It's also brought to you by Cardenas Law Group, a high-level boutique law firm for all your personal injury needs. That's CardenasLawGroup.com. Thank you so much again for listening. Hopefully, you're continuing to enjoy the episode. Take us through when you said you get to, you know, you, you get to be Heather, you come into work, you absolutely love what you do. You hang out yep. with your friends. I mean, obviously we know you're the best in the world at what you do and you make sure that you handle your business. You're the best at the technique, but you're also having a ton of fun. Take us behind the curtain when you hit Abu Dhabi and you guys are on fight Island. I'm not yep. saying that it's a party all the time cause you guys are working, but give yeah. us, give me some specifics if you're, if, if we're all right with that. You're going to be so disappointed in this. I mean, my fight Island to everybody else's is very different. So I hit ground on fight Island and we spend two days in quarantine. So I'm in my room by myself. It's probably the only time I can binge watch Netflix, girl shows, things that you don't even want to know about. Like, so I do that for 48 hours, catch up on emails, write um, rehab programs, things that I need to do. And then after two days in quarantine, I set up an entire room as a sports medicine station. So it has um, table, it has laser, it has shockwave, it has e-stim, it has tape, it has lotion, it has needles for acupuncture, dry needling, things like that. So it's a full little medical clinic you know, over the counter medications, wound care, you know, ever, all the like goods that we travel with, um, recovery tools, Normatex, foam rollers, things like that. Um, game ready. And once that is set up, literally those text messages start, even when I'm sitting in quarantine, it's like, Hey, Heather, what's your availability? What's your availability? You know, like these guys have done a training camp of eight weeks and thrown their body through everything. Like you said, because they are such athletes and, it's my job to make, put them back together and to make sure I can get them as healthy as possible before they step in that octagon on Saturday. So my day literally was getting up at 5.30, going and working out because I need that for my sanity. So spending an hour, an hour and a half at the gym, eating breakfast by 7.30, 8 o'clock, and then by 8.30, working. And I worked from 8.30 till 11 p.m. I'm literally maybe getting usually not even lunch. You don't even have time to do that. So normally I will eat a huge breakfast. I have a great team. My nutrition team might drop off some cookies if my day is that crazy because I'm a cookie addict. Um, that's what we need, a cookie sponsor. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. Um, and then I literally finish up at 11 and if, I, if I'm still, like my hands are still okay and I'm not that tired, I will have um, dinner then. And then after dinner, I go to bed and I repeat. I do that for the entire six days. Normally, weight cut days, if we have any emergencies, I'm in charge of, you know, making sure health-wise their vitals are normal, they're a stable athlete, and they're not going into any kind of medical emergency that we need to call um, a physician for. So I'm kind of on call. If everybody is good and they're cutting weight, they don't need me. So I will maybe step out and go sit by the pool and have lunch at the pool and just breathe. And that's usually that like Friday. Um, and then 
Saturday, normally we're preparing, getting everybody ready for the fights, and then they go off to the fights. And then that next day, I get a few hours before I get back on that plane. And I'll spend that maybe doing anything. You know, this time, because we're in bubbles, we can't go anywhere. So normally, if I'm in a city with the, with everybody, I get up at 5 and I'll run outside the city and see sights, you know, before anybody wakes up when it's nice and quiet and you get to, like, really experience the really cool cities around the world. And that's definitely, like, my favorite. But with the pandemic, it's literally just working out of a hotel and ensuring that these guys are, you know, able to do what they love best. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, uh, you know, the, the hairdresser, mm-hmm. um, has, it takes a long time to get their hair done. The yep. accountant is the last person to get their taxes done. Yeah. You see where I'm going with this. How, <laughs> how are you able to, now I watch you, like I was telling you about your hat game. Uh, Heather needs yep. a, a hat sponsor. So if you have hats out there, Heather is a great representation. We just found that she is the cookie monster too. So if you have a cookie company, you need to get Heather Linden. We need to bring in that sponsorship for them cookies. How does Heather stay in such phenomenal shape, not only physically, but also like you are a light. Like where, where are you drawing your power from? Because you're pressing out so much to everybody else. Where does that come from? Um, I think getting my workout in every morning, a like kind of jump starts that light. And then I genuinely, I'm a rare person that feeds off people. Like the more people around me, I just energize. Like I've had to have my coworkers take a step back and be like, Heather, we don't know how you do it. Like when we've seen 15 people in a day, I'm drained. I have no conversation. I don't even have brain power and I'm dead. And they're like, how do you finish 15 people? And you're like, dang, here we go. And I'm like, they're just my energy. Like, I think I definitely picked the right profession that it's being around people, seeing smiles and changes. Like I'm that person that, you know, my best friend Taylor has to tell me, okay, I need time alone because I don't ever hit that spot. I'm like, if I have you like engaged with me, I can tell you the cool things and show you. Like I like being to show and do and do things with friends because you can talk about it and that just energizes me more. So I'm a very rare breed that people energize me and I am excited about it. But then I've just, I'm, I'm so fortunate. I mean, not many people can say they love what they do and, they're passionate about it. And I mean, I don't know. I just, it's great. I love it. Well, Heather, I mean, when you said not many people, there's only one person in the world that could say that they do what you do. One person. Like there is only one job. There's one job in the world that is that. Now I say on the, the, the positive side, I'm like, there's only one job that there was only one person that has my job and that's me because it's my job and no one else could have it. But I'm talking about actual physical, literally, there's only one of your job. I just think it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. So when you're hanging out with Taylor, you guys are at the mall, you guys are cutting up, you're having a good time. She's giving you crap. She's holding you accountable, you know, smacking you up, talking about those bad boys that you try and talk to all the time um are you are you at the mall because people ask me this all the time they're like do you look at people's hair a lot of times i don't like when it's really bad i don't are you looking at people's gait or when you see somebody limping are you like if you would just do this then that would that would help but i also like you're talking about the mall i do love clothing and fashion and like so i don't have the uh, i mean i would say people tend to say I have decent fashion, um, when I actually do it, like my day to day, I'm in workout clothes. So like, mm, 
but I do try to even trend up the workout clothes if I can. But when I'm at the mall, I'm in there, like I go to the mall to get things done. I want a nice outfit for a purpose, for a reason. I don't have the time to just dilly dally and look at people and watch them with their injuries. I mean, I will say this in the dating world, I can't tell you how many first dates are like, hey, I have this shoulder injury. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> mm. So, so is that, is that like a, like a, uh, like that, that's just that. Uh, yes. I mean, give me at least to date two before okay. you start asking me about your injuries. When you start going, oh, your physical therapist is great. I have this shoulder thing. Do you think you could take a look? And I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm very expensive. So that's, <laughs> that's all I say. That's it. I'm I love like, it. Drop, I, I love it. I love it. So tell us about a couple other things because the dating game, for those of you listening, I mean, this is probably one of the smartest women in the world. She's got one, there's one job and she got it. You feel her light, her passion. And I was asking her earlier and she is a single woman. Um, okay. Tell us the thing. Okay. Outside. Okay. So we got the number one thing is like asking about your profession. Can you do it? Cause I remember people would ask that all the time. And I remember getting to a point on a plane, right? We travel a ton and well before COVID. And I remember saying to one of my friends, we were traveling to a show. I said, the next person that when I say I'm a hairdresser that they say, what would you do with this? I'm going to cut their hair right then, like right then. And we were on the plane and the, the, the flight attendant said, what do you guys do? And we said, we're hairdressers. And I was waiting for the question. She said, um, what would you do with my hair? And I said, meet me at the back of the plane. And I ended up cutting her hair and all the, the rest of the flight attendants. And then they, everyone knew that it was going on and they walked out of the back and they had new haircuts and everyone clapped as they walked down the way. That's amazing. So oh tell me it. this, tell me this though, Heather, cause tell me the other two. So we got the top one that they ask you like, oh, I got a shoulder injury. Can you fix it? What would be the second and third no-no in the dating world in, when it comes to Heather? Like if you wanted to date Heather and you wanted to be oh, able to... Gang- what's that? I think I lost you for a second. There we go. I got you now. I got you now. Go. Are you there? Yep. Okay. Number two and number three. You said if it was dating... Wait, but I missed the question. Okay, so the question was, you said the first thing that is going to be that mic drop, I'm out, dinner's over, is check out my shoulder. What would you do to my shoulder? What's number two and number three of Heather No-No's in the dating world? Hmm. So number two is going to be, oh my God, it's so cool what you do. And then the minute they see what I do, like the phone calls that happen at night or the busy schedule or I feel like traveling too. Like everyone's like, you have such a cool job. And then I go away for one trip and the the don'ts are, oh my God, your job is really demanding. And I'm like, you knew this. Like you knew this. Like, yeah, it is. But like for the right person, I, I will make the time. Like I even know I need to be better to make my personal life match some of my professional life in that sense. But like the whole, you have the coolest job ever. And then the minute my job is like not giving you the time that you need and it being an issue, that's like a number two, like, um, and number three, I just need someone intelligent. Like I need someone is equally stimulating mentally because I like someone to keep me on my edge and like put me in my place as well. I mean, 
for sure. I, I tell you, I mean, the, uh, as far as intelligence level, I mean, you're you, that's, I mean, you are on that level. You know what I mean? Like being able to connect with you and hear you talk about, and I, I want you to realize that, um, you know, if you're watching this, you can see it. If you're listening to it, you can hear it. Anytime that you talk about your profession and what you do, you honestly hear the passion and love that you're you're doing uh, that that you're working with. What are you working on now that is blowing your mind and challenging you in your profession? So I think what I'm working with the most is um, changing the outlook of professional athletics. So we tend to be very reactive, right? So an athlete gets injured and we're reacting. But I think we're misleading healthcare where we're not being more preventative, where there's so much work we could put on the front end of things to make the back end so much better that we don't do. So I think I'm like, I'm genuinely working with like some professional NFL players and stuff and just looking at the full body and saying, okay, you know, I had an NFL player recently that, you know, reached out to me and I did a full body assessment and they're a wide receiver and literally the ankle motion that was happening was just ridiculous. It was like not even, even that of an athlete. It was not even a typical person. And here they are on a field cutting, you know, having to get low and make movements with an ankle that can't even go over a joint. And I was like, what is going on here? And he's like, well, I had an injury like three years ago. And I'm like, and what have you done? He's like, well, they always just like tape it up and let me go. But I'm like, you have a restricted joint on now you're restricting it even more. So this year we worked on just really working on ankle mobility and prevention. And he had his best year yet as a Raiders. And like, I look at that and I'm going, what are we doing? So I try to take that to the Performance Institute and do each day looking more prevention wise, looking at how do we better our athletes? You know, what do we do? We treat our athletes very much like they're on a pedestal and they're a number, but we don't put a lot of time in the dirty, grindy stuff where that actually makes a difference for these guys. And that, so that's really what I'm doing is trying to change the MMA world from a preventative standpoint where they go through their training camps and they don't have these injuries. Look at training loads, looking at recovery days, using recovery tools, using sports medicine professionals all over the world to help you, you know, investing in your body. You're investing, like you said, you're going to pay your boy to be your entourage invest in your body. This is your career. This is your moneymaker. This is everything. So, you know, trying to flip that and show this population that investing in themselves is going to be a huge addition to them, as well as learning a lot about the sport to maybe be able to change and reduce injuries for itself and looking at how to make this sport evolve just like all the other professional sports. So if you, if you were talking, because you were just talking about the preventative side, I, I love this um, because most of the time in, in life, in business, we're all reactive, right? We, something happens and then we react to it. And generally what, what Stephen Covey said is uh, the distance between your reaction or between the circumstance and your reaction is how successful you'll be. So if there's more of a distance in between those two things, the circumstance and your reaction, the more time you'll have to be able to analyze and be able to make it happen. What would your advice be to some, an aspiring, uh, mm-hmm. uh, person coming into the UFC, like a, 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 how, like a, an actionable item that they could get their body ready that they yep. wouldn't be the common, Oh, my knee went out. Oh, my, you know, I had the concussion. Oh, you know, this happened. What would that be? 
So I, I think my initial thing, and this is actually a pretty cool topic we were just having a meeting in about yesterday, is, you know, we look at, we want to work with the big names, right? So like Connor comes in and asks to work with me. Everyone's like, oh, that's awesome, Heb. Like he trusts you. But let's filter back to like, Connor's been doing this and he's got a great team and he has great people around him. Like, what about that person that just got signed to the UFC? Think about how much we can make a difference in his entire pathway. Like that's such a feat in itself in being able to do that. So what I would say is surround yourself with people that are educated and that actually can give you objective data and things that you can do something with, you know, like, so many times this sport, oh my gosh, when I first started, I was shocked at how much wild, wild west it is. Like they would go to clinicians that don't even actually have real licenses that did like a one year course, at, like not even a real like doctorate or, you know, this guy uses some technique that people just cringe about. And they, they're like, oh, well, he's this guy, he has Instagram followers and he does this and he, and I'm like, you guys you can pay for that. I literally had to change my name on my Instagram to Dr. Heather Linden, which I don't use doctor. Like I'm Heather. I, I literally had an athlete yesterday go, I thought I was getting evaled by this doctor, but she was a doctor in nursing and this, and like th sometimes they just can't keep track. I mean, there's so many doctorate professionals that are out there that like, she literally thought the MD was a Cairo and then a nurse practitioner, like, there's so much confusion. So I don't, I don't try to misinform them, you know, like, yes, I did my doctor. I spent a lot of time being educated, but I am a physical therapist and, and I am Heather, you know what I mean? So, so many times, you know, athletes have said to me, well, I'm going to go to this clinician because they have, they're a doctor. And I'm like, okay, I'll put it on my organ Instagram and put doctor so that yes, you guys don't think I didn't do the same education. And they're like, but why don't you make us call you doctor? And I just like, it's my name's Heather. Like, doesn't matter. Like, just like, I don't call you number one in the world or number five in the world. I call you by your name. Like call me by my name. <laughs> So what, what would your advice be to the non-athlete? Cause I mean, there's, there's, I mean, probably the majority of the people of our listeners are not elite athletes. Yeah. What are some of the things that you see in normal every day that you are like, if you would just do like for me in, in my profession, like if you would just, um, if you would just buy shampoo and conditioner from the salon that you went to, it would right. change the landscape of that business. You would get higher level of service. And it's so simple. What are those yeah. little simple things that you're looking at and saying, like, so if, you, if you just did this as a person, everything would, I mean. Like number one that comes to my head is going to be posture, right? We sit in a world of sitting, driving, being on our phones, and we wonder why we have neck issues. We wonder why we have, you know, pain because we're in positions that our bodies aren't meant to be. So number one is as simple as doing like posture education and awareness, you know, making sure your shoulders are upright, working on breathing, which we're really bad breathers, even though we do it every day, um, as well as just like, you know, staying energized and exercise. Like I look at, I had to do really tough love with my mom a few years ago because she was getting a little bit heavy and she was complaining about her knees and she was complaining about her high blood pressure. And so she was going to the doctor and getting medication for high blood pressure, medication for knees. So she had a knee surgery Four months later, the knee hurt again. Oh, you retore it. 
going for, and I was like, mom, you're heavy. You have a, you have a frame of a five, four woman. Like you can't be 200 pounds. Like you can't be, you know, a lot of weight and stuff on your body and your joints. Like, so as simple as all she did was start to clean up her diet a little bit and start walking. And the woman has lost 70 pounds. Her blood pressure went down. She's on no more blood pressure medication. And she now has no knee pain. So, like, people will come to me and say, oh, my God, I have arthritis. The doctor told me arthritis. The number one research to improve arthritic, yes, you're not going to change that joint, is exercise because the muscles take the pressure off of that joint. So it's not rocket science. None of this is rocket science. The same thing I would tell an elite athlete is, you know, take care of, we, we get one machine, right? So, you know, if there's things not going your way, educate yourself or surround yourself with people that might be able to help you. If diet's an issue, you know, look at small little simple things. It's not making a huge improvement. It's small moderation in things, you know, maybe taking out one soda a day, maybe walking for just 10 minutes to start. Like don't start and think like everything's going to change overnight. You, we've developed our bodies into what we have over multiple years. So start slowly and, you know, try to weed out some of those things just from everyday life. So, the analytical side of you is like, I, I love, we could do like five hours on, I give you a challenge and you would just be like, bang, 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 bang. Tell us what Heather struggles with knowing that you could do the right thing, this little adjustment and that you don't do it. What is that? Yeah. So actually I was just not exercising. Like I had COVID and then I had something else. Then I got so, and I just didn't exercise. And for me, I started feeling weak. I mean, I'm working on big guys. So just recently in the past like week, I've started back to exercising consistently, making the time in the morning, eating healthy, making sure you get sleep. Like I'm the worst. I mean, like <laughs> doctors are the worst doctors, hairdressers. You know, I mean, we all, we all don't, practice what we preach all the time. And I would say, gosh, I'm definitely that person, but it always comes full circle with me where I'm like, okay, you're telling an athlete drinking water. Oh my God, that's my worst. My coworkers are like, Heather, I think you've had two bottles of water all day and you've done 15 hours of work. So the simple things of, you know, of life that I sit here and preach to you guys, definitely <laughs> I'm the worst at. So I have to make sure I'm drinking water, eating healthy, making my own, taking my own personal time, right? Like we are so I think I learned that over this pandemic time is having some time to say and do me and being able to say no sometimes, you know, like I'm so, let me see this private person. Let me work on this private athlete. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's a week has gone by. I've worked 80 hours. I haven't taken my dogs for a walk. I haven't done like what I love, what makes me also passionate and tick. So I think taking that time for yourself is definitely something I'm bad at. And I would highly recommend taking a step back and doing it for yourself as well. What's the thing that makes Heather like you're, you're happy and joyful all the time, but what's that thing that makes your heart explode? Like I could tell you this, making my heart explode. Probably the hardest thing about the pandemic is bowling alleys closing because <sighs> I love to bowl. Like bowling yep. is my ish. Like it is it. What is that thing that Heather experiences that Heather turns into a five-year-old giddy and you don't care how it affects you. You just love doing it. Probably live music. I miss like, and I can't tell you what type because I'm all over the place. I listen to oldies, rap, like country, like I'm all over the place in my music, but good live music. I mean, mm, 
I love it. Like just sitting there listening to being in a concert setting. I miss that. I miss having that, you know, part every day. Or, I mean, I would probably go to at least 15 concerts a year. Wow. And mm -hmm, that's like my one getaway. Like, don't bother me. I've actually had to leave a concert because an athlete called me and had a major injury. And I was like, (gasps) and I was like, that was like, my heart ripping, like, okay, I can't say no because this is a really like one of our top athletes and like he has a huge fight like in like five days. So I need to leave and assess this. But I was like, it's ripping my heart as I walk out of that concert. Yeah. Heather, during that time, did you think at all like I could just he could wait for like two hours <laughs> until this concert is done? You it didn't even go through Heather's mind at all. Uh, it can't because honestly, like I've been in that situation with the Olympics where if sometimes when a ligament tears you have a 24 to 48 hour, hour window to reattach it. Okay. Otherwise to reconstruct the whole ligament. Now okay. reattaching it could be a three month window of recovery. Yeah. Reconstruction could be a year. So if that athlete, like I didn't know an athlete training for, had to make Olympic trials, they would have missed Olympic trials if we hadn't done it within 20, got them into surgery, did the diagnostics within 24 hours and made it happen, they would have missed their Olympic opportunity. So you're, you're a better, you're a better person than me because what I'm thinking of is math right now. And I'm thinking the concert probably lasts two hours. So you still have 22 hours uh, (laughs) when you're done. So that's why you're Heather and that's why I'm here. So (laughs) I I just, I, I applaud you, Heather. I just think that it is, it is, uh, you know, it's nuts to be able to, uh, to, to hear, um, how your mind works, like how your mind is, is, is moving. What do you think is, uh, what, what sport do you get to watch and, and really enjoy as opposed to analytically looking at them? Are you able to watch football? Do you like football? Yeah, I love football and I love hockey. Okay. Um, those are sports that I think I was drawn to growing up and watched with my family the most. Yeah. Um, love the fast pace, especially with hot hockey. It's probably like if I was ever, ever, ever considering another sport to work with, it would probably be hockey. Um, just the, the athletes are absolutely amazing to work with. It's a very fast paced sport. And again, they're kind of that like good old boys that, you know, get on the ice and are badass and are pretty athletic. You know, you don't realize how much athleticism comes in with the speed and the power and being so precise with a hockey puck and things like that. So I really enjoy, I love, I love live sports, live sports, live music, anything live. And that's definitely something I've missed the most. Super Bowl. You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this and no. okay, I'm going with Tampa, baby, you're going with Tampa. I'm going to Tampa. My mom would hate me. So they're Chiefs. They have season tickets to the Chiefs. My mom is a diehard Chiefs fan. And she would hate that I'm saying this. But in the scheme of things, I, my mentor, the guy that got me into sports physical therapy, like the guy I shadowed at Virginia Tech, which said, taught me this is my path. This was my calling. He was the New England Patriots physical therapist up until last year. And He was one that sent me emails of how to get into sports and just always supported my growth. So I became a huge Patriots fan and kind of, of course, you love Brady. I mean, who doesn't love Brady? He's beautiful. He's a beautiful man. And to see his athleticism and to see the haters, like I hate when people hate on athletes. They give up so much. They love to like tear athletes down when they're at their worst. And that like is heartbreaking to me because I see what they put in the backside of it. And I get that they make money and I get that they're in the public eye, but they are people. And I think that watching him come to a team 
and be able to show all those people that he is just an incredible athlete. He's invested the time and money in his body. He surrounded himself with people to keep him healthy and done everything that you just hope athletes look at and do. And to be like, I'm just, I'm, I'm really rooting for him. I'm really rooting that, you know, he gets this because I think his career, like you said, is coming down. Like, I mean, he had a phenomenal year, so I should probably shut my mouth on this and people are going to be like, what? But I do think, you know, there is a time, you know, he said he doesn't want to um, be there after 45. And I think he's 42, 43, somewhere around there. And I would say that, you know, he has a few more years and I'd love to see him just shut those haters up because I mean, these guys are incredible athletes and I just, it's amazing. Well, I thank you so much, Heather. Um, the whole reason why I started the podcast is because I wanted to take iconic people like yourself in iconic positions, but I only wanted to interview people who were phenomenal people who happened to do great things. And Aww. the, and the big reason why is because I want to take iconic people like you and I wanted to humanize them to my kids. So Maddox and McKenna, Maddox is nine years old. Um, mm -hmm. and McKenna is 12 years old. Yep. So if you could use their names, what advice would you give to Maddox at nine and 12 year old McKenna? Okay. Maddox and McKenna, Never think that you can achieve what your dreams are. Um, put that head down, grind it out, do and find something that you're super passionate and that you love. And then every day is going to be a journey for you. Well, I thank you so much. Now is the time, guys. Uh, I mean, Heather, you have been phenomenal, a wealth of knowledge. I, I want to get you I want to get you on wax that, that you will do a second episode because, I mean, it is, it has just been an absolute pleasure. I mean, from the, the aspect of your spirit and who you are to also, um, the, the knowledge that you have. And I think, and I hope every single, uh, listener out there, th these principles that, uh, Heather is talking about is not just about the UFC. It's not just about physical training. She's looking and helping us and giving us the code to assess what we're doing in business and that there are things that you can do to slightly adjust and, and ultimately make the, uh, the, the, the result a lot different. The thing that I love that you said too, was that people are always constantly looking for the shiny, the, the quick, and they're not looking at over time, little bits of improvement. There's no yep. big, there's no big breaks. There's only little ones as we go along. And I just, I, I cannot thank you enough uh, for the, all those you listening. This is the time that you click the links that you check out our sponsors. You do all the things that you know you need to do. Um, but Heather, it has been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It's been so fun. And I love chatting about all this. So I look forward to the next time. Perfect. Uh -huh.